I just cut you off. You were about to start. Go for it, Sonia. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. Oh, I no, thought you, you go. Were. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, this is a fun start. Hopefully, it's uh, not a sign of things to come. But <laughs> welcome back to Scarlet. We have a big popular topic that may have fallen out of the headlines a little bit recently, but was huge news 15 years ago when it happened. Uh, Sonia, what is our true crime topic today? Today, we are talking about Dennis Rader, also known as BTK, which stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. And he was essentially the BTK killer, self-proclaimed, not shy about letting people know that he anonymously, of course, took responsibility for the murders that happened, which there were 10 of them, between 1974 and 1991. He was not actually caught until 2005, and he was caught because of his own, um, I think I I would call it a a slip-up, you know? And, uh, oh, definitely because of his hubris, and a bit of his naivete, in my opinion. I mean, he was stupid for believing. Yeah, um, it was pretty dumb. You know. We'll we'll cover why he was dumb, but it was a really dumb way to get caught. Exactly. Um, But that just sort of speaks to his arrogance. He uh, is serving 10 consecutive life sentences right now in Kansas. He was born in Wichita, Kansas. Um, He spent his time there growing up, and then he moved to Park City, Kansas, He was born in 1945 on March 9th, and he was born to um, Dorothea May Rader and William Elvin Rader. Okay, sidebar. Yeah? I had an oboe instructor named Dorothea when I was a kid, and I have never heard that name since, so I think that's awesome. Dorothea or Dorothea? Well, I think what the same is Dor- same thing, Dor- but like is pre- it? I think it's the same thing because it's spelled the same way. It's just she pronounced it like the original German intended way. Dorotia. Dorotia. Sounds very. Sounds I know. Very very macho. Um, all right, so Dennis Rader, he's one of uh, four. Or sorry. Four son- yes, he is one of four sons. Um, well, I'm not going to get too much, honestly, into the Raider family, nah. especially um, you know, out of respect for the Dennis Raider's wife and his two children, who had to endure the craziness that ensued after he was found out. And then, of course, you know, these are people who were, you know, raised by him and who were married to him for all those years while he was doing uh, these crimes. So, you know, I've watched a lot of documentaries with, um, in particular, Dennis Rader's daughter talking about um, how they didn't know and how how devastating it was. And I really feel for these people. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that. We'll talk a little bit later about some of the current situations. But, um, you know, I have to say, Dennis Rader... BTK. I'm not going to say he's my favorite serial killer because that's weird. That is weird. I do believe, yeah, in my heart of hearts, I hate him the most of all other serial killers. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, And and you got, yeah, no, for sure. This guy, for all of these years, so he, he, what, what's interesting about Dennis Rader and his ability to sort of um, hide from the police and the authorities for so long was that he was not a, a stupid man, certainly. He was moderately educated. He was white. He was like 5'9". He was, you know, your regular old guy. He worked for in a variety of capacities that gave him access and taught him um, how to really get really good at his crime. In addition to that, he had some 
pretty serious issues, uh, sexual perversions. And when I say that, because there's lots of whatever's out there, you can fetish all day, have at it. But he enjoyed torturing animals. He endured, enjoyed torturing people, in particular women, and, um, and ultimately murdering them and leaving them in an, an undistinguished, humiliating state um you know and he did this for what 30 years i mean it's kind of incredible to think that he went on for that long especially because he taunted the police um as much as he did so you know let's we'll dive into each of the murders individually but Brittany, any anything you want to talk about in particular with dennis raider before we really start going down yeah the road? I, I think it's important to paint a little bit of a picture of his background you covered it a little bit um and we don't need to go into a lot of detail because we're gonna have a lot to talk about uh with the crimes themselves but just to get to know the man dennis raider before he became btk as he wanted to be known as uh, he, when he was growing up as a child, he was a uh, quiet, withdrawn, socially awkward kid who showed tendencies of violence early on, as Sonia mentioned, by killing animals and taking pleasure in that. He was never a good student, never very intelligent. Um, I mean, he was a pretty good looking guy growing up, but always kind of struck out with the ladies. Um, he graduated high school in 1963, and he went to a community college for a couple years. And then in 1965, he went to Kansas Wesleyan University or College in Salina. And he dropped out because he wasn't really making his grades because he wasn't a, a really a smart guy. And in he, this was of course like the heart of the Vietnam War and so he was afraid of getting drafted so he enlisted himself in the air force so he would not be on the front lines on the battlefield uh and so while he was in the air force he uh, started to show signs of his future uh, violent side, his stalking tendencies. He would, uh, he had a very inflated ego. He envisioned himself like James Bond. He would go to bars and like eye women and like stalk them a little bit. Not, not to the point that he got, but he carried a gun with him because he felt like he was undercover and always needed to be protected and would step up if anything were to happen and he was always prepared. Then uh, he, he came back in uh, 1969, I believe it was, and he, or 1970, and he, uh, he he met his his future wife, who Sonia, you know, I I kind of agree with you. We don't need to discuss too much. Uh, they were they dated for a short time. Paula Dietz is her name, and they were married in 1971. Uh, after they were married, they had two children, Carrie and Brian. And for all practical purposes, you know, if you hear from Paula and from the kids, they had a very normal life. Um, you know, they were. They were as shocked as everyone else um, and so betrayed, obviously, when they heard about this. Because until then, you know, there was no there was no um, information, you know, or nothing that would lead them to believe that he was capable of anything like that. I think there was only one time where Dennis Rader lost his temper with his son right. and they had to pull him off of the son. Um, but that doesn't make you a murderer. No. That just means that you've got some anger issues, exactly. right? Um, so, you know, really, there's a lot of interviews out there with, um, you know, the daughters uh, and, and I don't know, maybe the son, but um, it's a lot of interesting information out there. I would definitely um, take a look at it. So, Brittany, as you said, there was a lot of let's go back to, um, you know, of course, talking about the it's zoo sadism, which is torture and killing and hanging of animals. He also acted out a lot of sexual fantasies he had. And he will go on to talk about these fantasies and tell and say that ultimately that's what drove him to do the things he did. He called his drive 
uh, Factor X. And he blamed everything really on Factor X. And that seemed to drive really every move he made, um, or at least all the moves when it came to his um, criminal behavior. And what's crazy about it is, you know, here's a guy who, again, this is a very long time. And if you look at, you know, how he murders these people over time, he didn't I mean, it's all over the place. It's like some in the 70s, 80s, and then in the 90s. But like he skips like 10 years between them. He's not consistent. Um, Sometimes, you know. No. And I think that's, of course, one of the reasons they couldn't catch him. Also, because we're always led to believe that serial killers, um, you know, they escalate. So in my opinion, when we get to the first crime, I feel like that's the worst crime he committed. And nothing, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not to... It's not a picking favorites, but it was the one where children were involved and were murdered. And to start to me at that level is where I'm I'm just terrified at this person and also so angry with him. I have no tolerance for for torturing children and the things that he he did. Um, But let's talk about the sexual fetish that he was interested in, including voyeurism, autoerotic asphyxiation, and cross-dressing. He would always, like in his neighborhood when he was young, sneak around, watch women get undressed. He would wear women's clothing. He would masturbate with ropes and bindings on. Yeah. he would even do that dress up thing and, um, you know, in between the murders. Right. By the way, I don't know if you guys realize what autoerotic asphyxiation is. Um, it's a fairly, I don't know, common thing, actually, uh-huh. which I, it's shocking. But essentially, it's the strangulation of yourself, hence the auto, um, until you, right about to the point where you climax and then you, take off whatever you're strangling yourself with and it's supposed to really um, sort of elevate your, your yeah, orgasm. Yeah, right, exactly. There are many people um, out there in the world, um, celebrities who we know have died while trying, uh, well, well, not trying, well, well they did try because they didn't succeed. Yeah, yeah. but um, a couple of them that you will remember would be Michael Hutchins and then also... Um, I think David Carradine passed away like that. What I saw um, on the documentation that I looked at was that Raider would tie himself to a rope that was tied to the bathroom doorknob and then lean forward. So that's how he would control himself. Now, and I and I guess because he was so close to the floor, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how he kept himself. But you know, there's always a risk when you're practicing autoerotic asphyxiation that you're not going to recover from it. I don't know so. how he how he got away with this, but there is a picture that he turned over to the police of himself when he was caught in 2005 of himself wearing a woman's mask, which was a common theme for him while he was partaking in autoerotic asphyxiation and wearing some of his victim's clothes and he actually tied himself to a tree branch and was hanging in the air one i don't know how you physically do that without actually killing yourself and two i don't know how you get away with that and set up a camera to take a picture of it but it was a really disturbing picture that he was kind of proud to turn over to police officers Oh, he was a weird dude. He he definitely taunted the police. He wanted people to know that he, whoever he was, um, and a, he outwardly called himself BTK, that he wanted them to know. Um, and we'll talk a little bit later. I think we should go ahead and get into the, the crimes, but we can talk yes. a little bit about how along the way he communicated with the police. Um, but, you know, let's start, let's start uh, at Dennis Rader, you know, married, has two kids, This is right around the time. Oh, one more thing I do want to mention, by the way. He was going to, and he graduated from Wichita State University. And, of course, he was studying studying, um, justice administration. So (laughs) he, from an early, early, early on, he started really working out um, and trying to educate himself on the typical, um, you know, the the criminal justice system and how he could work his way around it. And Wichita State University is also where BTK, also known as Dennis Rader, made a lot of the photocopies of the documents and letters he sent to the police. So they were able to trace those back to Wichita State University, but 
because and, and just remember guys if you read anything about this case he was fairly crafty sometimes but then other times he was fairly stupid so i was like i don't i don't know what this guy's doing he seems to be off the rails he would make photocopies he would never send the original letters to the police i assume that's because he didn't want them to trace anything about the letters right. but there was still you know you could still track down and I think IBM helped him track down um, you know at least the photocopy model photocopier models and where you could get them and they traced them back to Wichita State but everybody they were public so you couldn't really figure it out it was uh, it was too hard to track down but they got to at least to that detail but um, yeah no see he for a guy who didn't have any time he had some time I mean it sounded like every waking moment he had was either spending with his kids and his family going to school or studying how to, to, to kill people and honestly stalking them really well, crazy he I almost feel like he was you know he went to when he was trying to fill his time by being a community guy and like he was a tr- boy scout troop leader he was like president of the church council he was always trying to be well known and i i got the impression and i don't know about you but i got the impression that the murders happened when the other activities died down and he actually did the other activities to try and quell his urge to kill Sometimes, sometimes. But I think his number one priority was always, you know, the sideline piece of it. It just, you're, you're right. There were definitely moments in his life where either he was experiencing stress or pressure that would drive him. But most of the documentation in the letters that he, he, first off, he's very well, you know, written when it comes to, or well documented anyway. He wrote, he has all of these letters. He has like journals. He has all these pictures that he drew of these poor people being tortured. And then he wrote a book and he, uh, and so nicely of him, he was like, oh, I'm writing this book, um, but I'm going to donate <laughs> to donate the proceeds to the victims. So um, I think he did that. And that was, again, really well documented. He spoke in in depth with the police about exactly what happened at each murder, too. So he and that's one of the ways that they were able to tie some of these murders to him, because he would no one else would have known the information that he provided to them um, except for the murder. So it was really, really weird and interesting. But, um, you know, Let's talk a little bit about the first um, set of murders because the first the first set of murders actually were four murders, two adults and two children. And this was on January 15th, 1974 in Wichita, Kansas. The victims were Joseph Otero. He was 38. Julie Otero, age 33. Joseph Otero, Jr. And he was nine. And then Josephine Otero, who is 11. So um, I can, you know, let's walk through some of this. You okay. know, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because the, 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 the stuff with the kids is just horrific. Y- yeah, it is. Um, by the way, the bodies were discovered by the kids uh, or the family's oldest son who was not there at the time and right. walked in on this. Yep. So, so very, very sad. Um, from what I understand, it sounds like that, you know, in typical fashion, he breaks into the house. This is was a fairly common MO of his. He would break into the house. He would have a gun. He would tell whoever he was breaking in that, you know, he was he told a lot of them that he was going to rape them, but not kill them and then rob them. And so I don't, but he never, we all know he never raped anyone. He didn't rape anyone. There was a lot of sexual tendencies, but there was never any indication of rape. Exactly. And there was never any semen or any um, physical, you know, proof of rape as well. So it seemed apparent that what he was after was a sexual, um, you know, sort of he he was really trying to fulfill a sexual need, but it didn't have anything to do, honestly, with sex per se with another person. Um, I think that um, and as we can go through this, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But you know, most of the people that Dennis Rader murdered were suffocated and strangled. Um, and, and then one of them I think was stabbed, but for the most part, he liked to watch people die slowly. And of course, if he was murdering more than one person, he was probably, um, the, the rest of whoever, the, the people there were likely watching him kill some of the, the people in front of him. So for instance, the Otero family, 
So we have a mom and dad who have their two children, nine and 11, with them. Of course, this guy goes into the house. They're terrified. This is the beginning of the BTK murders, so nobody has any idea. Now, remember in crazy-ass 1970s um, where... Brittany, you know, we just were talking about, you know, all the craziness <laughs> that happens in the 1970s, like the California Freeway Killer, which there were multiple, the Golden State Killer, the East Area Rapist. Like, it just doesn't seem like anybody, like, I mean, nobody cared what, you know, it was a free-for-all. It was so easy to find people and to murder them. It, it, there seemed to be unreal. so much tension. No, and it was crazy. I know. Crazy. Like, I just, I mean, and, and, it, and, and most of these crimes to me were uh, targeted at women. And what was even crazier, I think you and I talked about that the other day, but with the Golden State Killer, which is bananas, like I think around that time where the East Area Rapist, you know, the rapes were happening, if you got caught for raping someone, you would probably get like 30 days or 90 days or even probation. You're not even going to get really in trouble. Crazy. So maybe that's why Dennis Rader was telling these people, oh, I'm just going to rape you. Because at the time, apparently that was not a big deal or is not as bad as murdering them. But I I was really confused a lot about Dennis Rader. Um, You know, I, I have questions along the way. Let's again, sorry, go back to our first set of murders. Joseph Otero, Julio Otero, Joseph Jr., and Josephine. So it sounds to me like Dennis Rader in his first foray. And by the way, this might have been his first set of murders, but he was very, very well planned in this. He had, here's what he says that he used to do. He, because he spent a, quite a bit of time finding his his targets, and then he would find spend quite a bit more time studying them. So he would, what he said that what he would do is he would, he would troll for a, a, a new victim or set of victims. And then he, once he determined who that would be or who they would be, he stalked them for a, quite a period of time. He figured out how to get into their houses, when they were home, who was going to be home, and he made himself, um, you know, he, he planned around those events. So he was really good at it. So back to January 15, 1974, these, this family's, you know, in their house. Um, and again, Raider comes in, he's, you know, saying that he's only going to rape them or he's only going to burglarize them. Yeah. He was he actually just looking for, he was like looking, he says he was looking for money and a car to get away because he was a wanted criminal on the run. Yeah. He loved to have this, say, you know, this idea that he was all famous, which is bananas. Um, but that's some, something sort of consistent with his behaviors. It's I think he had consistent. a really like his ego is huge. So here we have the entire family in the bedroom. Um, We will later know that they find Joseph, uh, the father and the mother in the bedroom. And what Dennis Rader does without getting into too much graphic detail is he puts a bag over Joseph Otero's head. And while the other people are sitting there, right, we're all in the same room together. So clearly they could see what was happening. The daughter and the son were watching his parents, like, be murdered, essentially. It's important to know, though, he, like his name, would he bound all of the Otero family. He tied them up, tied their arms and legs behind them so they couldn't fight back. Oh, yeah. And he had even go ahead. He, he had a gun with him that he never had any intention of using. Like you said, he he didn't use guns in his murders. He had other means, uh, but he used the gun as intimidation to allow the, to get the family to comply so that way he could proceed with his crimes. A lot of people usually think of compliance as the best defense because they believe that they will survive because that's what they are being told by the perpetrator. Where in most cases, we ultimately find that compliance is actually the worst option. And most of the time, it does not end well for the victims when they may have had other opportunities to fight back. Especially when you have a situation like this. Now, granted, there was it was a very naive time. So I'm sure these people were hope, were believing them. But they had a lot at stake if they didn't. And, you know, what's weird is he rarely wore a mask. He... Which I also find really weird because here's a guy who is pretty well known in the um, the town. And I don't know how big the town is, but I mean, to be involved in all the things that he was doing and to not wear a mask, I'm shocked that people didn't um, weren't able to identify him. But what everybody said was he's like a five nine, five eight white guy with dark hair. Big deal. Like, I mean, nothing interesting right. or out of the ordinary. Nope. Um, 
so really hard to track him down. Okay, so let's go back to Joseph Otera. Joseph Otera, bag on his head, Dennis Raiders essentially stuff, suff- suffocating him, sitting there watching this guy die. That's what Dennis Raider liked to do. That's what got him off. He liked to watch the last breath come out of people's faces, whether it be a man, a woman, or a child. And that's what that's what got him off. That's why he masturbated to it. Um, and I'm assuming that it had something to do with him practicing autoerotic asphyxiation himself, but he knew what that felt like and it got him to the, you know, all amped up or tweaked up. He called it teed up, I think, is what he would refer to it as. He was teed up and he had to do something about it. Um, this guy, by the way, this fucker, he, I don't think there's a punishment bad enough for this guy this guy i think at the time because he's like 10 consecutive life sentences um i mean i would have said to death for sure but i think at the time kansas didn't have the death penalty in place there are also some people who say that he murdered other people and he didn't tell the police about those people because that would have put him around the time where kansas did have the death penalty and he didn't want to disclose that so all kinds of crazy um so sorry back to the oteras Here's this dad on the ground, bag on his head, suffocating. He passes out. Dennis Rader thinks this is, remember, this is his first time that's sort of enacting this on humans. And so Dennis Rader thinks he's died. So moving on, the fun is gone. He moves on to the wife, Julia Ortera. Now, again, remember. Actually, who, no, 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 it was, actually, this, it, was, it, was, it was reversed. He actually, he actually killed or thought he killed julie first before he attacked joseph and it was julie that well, he went back he, well both of them did multiple times i think they came to over and over again because he just didn't know how much he had to like you know to strangle them um it was i think more than four um it sounded like and i don't know who could have tested that except dennis Rader. so i mean he's tell, he's telling his own story but he struggled with it and he was he admitted that as he went back and forth between them multiple times and he and then i think what and one time joseph otera came back to he had bitten a hole through the plastic bag so dennis dennis Rader took off the plastic bag put on a t-shirt and then put the plastic bag on top of that so he couldn't bite through it so they went back and forth with this quite a number of times, which must yeah, have been it horrifying. Like it was real again, yeah, it's awful, Hor- horrible. So again, so Joseph and Julie either dead or unconscious, but pretty sure dead. Um, hard to tell because I think they were there. You know, I don't know how long they were in the house before someone found them. Probably not that long because the kid who found them was, um, I think, tenth grade, so he would have been staying there certainly. Um, again these Joseph and Julia, um, you know, suffocated, strangled the, now that we have those two folks either dead or incapacitated, he turns to the Joseph jr. Who is nine years old. He takes Joseph, the nine-year-old into another bedroom. He ties him or if he's not already tied, he, it appears that they think he laid this young man, this little boy, um, and this little boy was conscious, and I don't know if his mouth was gagged or not, but his eyes were open. He was aware. Dennis Rader could see the terror in his face, and I just can't fathom how you would do that to a child. Not only did Dennis Rader do that to a child, but he it got off on watching the last breath come out of Joseph. And he, it, it, the like I said, the police have some thought that because there are there are i guess chair marks in the carpet that he pretty much put the chair on over joseph or around him or near him and just sat right there and looked straight in his face while he died oh that's What's, so awful yeah but if you're trying to get if that's what you get off on that's what you want to see what i don't understand and and I, it sounds to me like that most of these people had a t-shirt on over the plastic bag. So that's a little conflicting because if you're, what are you seeing? If you can't see their face when they're dying, you're just waiting for them to stop breathing. And then, you know, that's a little different than looking someone in the eyes as they die. So my thought is, I don't know. I don't remember what Dennis Rader says or if he's saying it accurately, but I'm not sure if he ever discloses which he puts on first. With Joseph, he definitely said that he put the T-shirt on first because he didn't want him to bite through the uh, plastic anymore. That's just, so that's how he kept coming back to life. Uh, 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. sure, but wow, wow. I, I didn't hear anything about the t-shirts, actually. Um, certainly about the, you know, every the other stuff you discussed, but I, I didn't know about the t-shirts, so that's, that's brand new information that is more disturbing. Oh, horrible. Horrible. Um, Brittany, do you want to tell us about, so, again, well, we know that little, jo- little Joseph died. Do you want to tell us about Josephine, the last yeah, of the, so, the family so, members to die? Yeah, so so Josephine, to me, as you said, the Otero family is probably, for you, the worst one. For me, it's also the worst one. And it, Josephine in particular, because I just found this absolutely disgusting. So after Joseph, Julie, and Joe Jr. have all been killed, he takes Josephine into the basement with her arms and legs tied up behind her and hangs her from a pipe and she is strangled and dies hanging from a pipe while he is masturbating next to her watching her die and semen was actually found in the basement next to her body at the crime scene now we said he never raped anyone he never sexually assaulted anyone but he left dna which at the time was not known but he left his mark and showed how severely sexually driven he was and to an 11 year old girl this is the part that would this is the the, the first one well technically i guess she's the fourth one but the first crime first first spree and it's it's the most horrendous to me because like you said not only is it killing children it's getting sexual satisfaction out of doing so this this man who's a stand up citizen member of the church uh, at the time, his wife was pregnant with his first daughter, Carrie. And, like, he was this amazing family man who just, it, it was, I, I, I was so disgusted. Uh, and the, he left his, he, like I said, he left his evidence. He didn't really clean up. He, he uh, wanted it to be a disgusting scene that officers would find that would make the press and uh, it would be a, a unique, a unique crime that he could take credit for. Yeah. So this is this is the beginning. This is the beginning of you know BTK. Um, all right. So moving on to our next murder slash well, uh, victims. I, More than one. I think. I think before we move on to the next victim, we have to talk about. His first dalliance in reaching out for fame and taunting the police. Because after the... He, he was actually, I believe, seen leaving the house, but the person that saw him could not give an accurate description. And since he didn't feel like he was give, getting enough press, he sent a letter to the television station KAKE in Kansas... Uh, admitting that he was responsible. And again, this guy, not very intelligent, always had poor spelling and grammar. He wrote that he wants to be known as BTK for bind, torture, kill, except he didn't even spell it right. He wrote bind, totur, he left out the R, kill. So this guy was... uh, I just thought it was it was a, an early sign of what seemed to be a lot of mix-ups, mess-ups of things that I feel like he almost should have been caught sooner for. And then that didn't get him enough press. So he called a, a news editor at a newspaper and said, hey, go to the library because I left a letter in an engineering book. And he was hoping someone would find it. And so this guy went, and in the uh, letter, he again claims responsibility for the murders, and he said, you will know me as bind them, torture them, kill them, B-T-K. But well, let's go back a minute, because 
he that letter was left and well i don't know when it was left but he called them and let them know that letter was available in october of 1974 right but he actually had killed someone in april of 1974 so he killed another person and damaged uh, her brother before um the letter and i think that's where he got frustrated was that there were two sets of of, you know crimes yeah and that's where he's like what do i got to do to get some attention around yeah yeah yeah. good point so that's where we start that's where we talk about Catherine bright and her brother kevin bright who is a survivor of btk and who has been on multiple interviews talking about what he went through he saw the guy he saw dennis Rader. he saw his sister die um he came back to life multiple times and somehow ran out um but let's talk a little bit about what what happened with Catherine bright in her home Catherine Bright was murdered in 1974, April 4th of 1974. She was 21. Her brother, Kevin, was with her, Mm -hmm. and he was 19. Uh, Essentially, Dennis Rader broke into the house um, from the front porch, and he hid in the bedroom, which is what he would typically do, and sometimes for quite a long time. Um, She arrived home, and raider wasn't expecting her brother to be there too so of course he came rushing into the room you know gun out um the whole nine yards he he told him the same shenanigans right he was right. a wanted criminal he just needed to get out of there he needed money he forced the two into the bedroom um they tied each other up essentially and then um he took Kevin into the other bedroom. Now, this poor guy is still alive. Like, yeah. oh, my God, talking about this. Um, he takes Kevin to the other room so that he can have his way with Catherine. Kevin um, breaks out of the, the cord or the whatever he was tied up with. He runs in there uh, to the other room to try and help his sister. And Re- Dennis Rader shoots him right in the face, oh, um, which God. is crazy. Yeah. For yeah. someone that doesn't like to use guns. So, but again, he was using it as intimidation. Well, it wasn't intimidation. Well, it wasn't intimidation. He, 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 he needed to get his brother away from, or the Kevin Bright away from him, because right. that was think, in a way they were, I mean, he was going to be was, outmanned. No, totally. But I think that, I don't think he had any intention of using the gun. It was meant as intimidation, but he ha- he was forced into a position that he had to use it. But that's not how he got satisfaction out of killing people. Yeah, no, definitely. He was only using it, I mean, he didn't expect Kevin to be there. Um, right, that's what's right. crazy about it, you know. So he was thrown off by this. Um, so of course he shoots Kevin in the head. Kevin goes down. He thinks he's dead. Apparently Kevin's not dead. Um, Catherine, um, you know, also put up a really big fight, and he ultimately strangled her. Um, right. He, but it didn't work. He, I don't know if he, if it was because she was so young, but. You know, he 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 couldn't control her as much as he wanted to. So he um, ultimately ended up stabbing her to death. But her and her brother were very, very, very challenging for Dennis Rader. I mean, it was um, not an easy, um, you know, not an easy murder for sure. And maybe, at you know, and, and remember, Kevin Bright runs out. He escapes. He's there's alive. a lot of conversations with him. Yeah, there's tons of interviews. I have a feeling that's why Dennis Dennis Rader stopped and his next murder wouldn't occur until 1977 because he's probably scared that this guy who had seen him right in his face, like literally standing there with him, Mm -hmm. talking to him, you know, there's a guy out there who can, you know, who can essentially identify him. I have a feeling that Dennis Rader stopped or waited because of that. And then he got his courage up and he couldn't control his factor X. And that's when he went back out again. But um, yeah, Catherine Catherine Bright uh, put up a heck of a fight, and ultimately, that one didn't go as well as I know. I think that Dennis Rader had expected. I don't know if he masturbated um, at that scene or not, but it sounded to me like it was quite a debacle, and you know, he was just trying to get out of there, and to think that he would have someone out there running around who knew what he looked like. But when they asked the guy multiple times, and he was shot in the face, by the way, so the police really couldn't believe him. They didn't know, and and Kevin couldn't really say either. He was like, okay, five eight five nine white guy, you know. I mean, what looks like everybody else, you know? How do you how do you pin that down? I mean, it was it was tough. So that that one's a that one's a tough one, and I think it's really interesting to watch some of those um, those interviews. 
Kevin Bright was on Larry King Live, and he talked a bit about how that how it went down. And if I'm not mistaken, with the exception of some of the children who witnessed the murder of their parents in the later murders, Kevin Bright's probably one of the only witnesses that's still alive. So uh, two more murders down. Uh-huh. Horrible. So now, well, or sorry, one, one murder, sorry, one, one more victim. murder down. Yes, yeah. So yep. so we're at five murders and then one survivor. So moving on to 1977, this is when, for some reason in there, uh, Dennis Rader takes a break. Now, Brittany, you had said that, you had said that his daughter, his wife was pregnant with his daughter. Was that 1974? Exactly. So after actually he found out that his wife was pregnant, um, I think she was, so I know she was pregnant during the Otero murders. I don't know if he knew she was pregnant during the Otero murders, but he certainly found out at minimum after the Catherine Bright murder. And he was so excited to be a father. Like he, as I said before, like I feel like he had this like empty nervous energy that drove him to commit crimes when he didn't have anything else to do. But he was so excited to be a father. He decided I got to turn my life around. I got to be a good dad. And so he took like three years off. Like he said, he, so BTK, he was so proud. He left all of this evidence. He claimed excitement for it. Like he, he claimed responsibility for it and wanted the notoriety. But then he went dormant for three years because he was so dedicated to be a doting father. But ultimately that factor X crept back up and he couldn't suppress it anymore. He even referred to it as a monster uh, or his evil and so 1977 btk strikes again against shirley vian i think that's how you pronounce her name i'm not sure yep that's right shirley vian so here's another instance of a young child the child's not a victim here but he uses the child essentially to bait the mother he's trolling apart i think he's a victim you don't think he's a victim well i mean yeah he's totally a victim but he's not yeah he's he wasn't a victim of violence. Is that the word? I don't even know the word to say. He's a survivor. I, guess. Let's I call would him a survivor. He, uh, yeah, he was held hostage. I mean, he was he was held hostage. So this this little kid, you know, he's he's playing at the park, and as we always say, and totally true, stranger danger, uh, Mister Raider comes up to this kid and shows him a picture of his wife and kids and says, do you recognize them? Uh, and the kid is like, nope, no, I don't. And I think what Raider was doing was trying to ultimately see this kid and uh, follow him to his mother. Well, he never found the mother, so he just kept on kind of stalking the kid. And the kid goes home. Raider takes his time. He's he's very good at stalking women because in the three years that he kind of took his break, even though he wasn't violent, he was following women and stalking them. So he's watching this woman from the streets. He's watching this kid. He decides he's going to take his chance. So he goes and knocks on the door. The kid answers, and then he's essentially like, hey, remember me? I showed you those pictures. Well, I'm actually a detective, and I need to talk to your mom. So... So you know what's interesting about this kid? Uh Uh-huh. How old is this kid, Brittany? Six years old, I believe. Yep. He's little. He's a little boy. He's a little kid. There were three three kids in the house at the time that Uh Shirley uh, Vienna was killed. Oh, it's so awful. So, yeah, and the kid who the kid uh, they inter- I saw an interview with this kid, the six year old kid who's uh-huh. now grown up. Right, he saw everything, and he blames himself That's, as an adult. I mean, he's six years old. There's nothing he could have done. He again. Yeah, I agree. He, he he had his gun that he brought for intimidation. He forced the three kids into the bathroom and locked them in the bathroom, uh, and while he attacked their mother. Uh, he told her that he was going to rape her, uh, and but not kill her. And so she, again, seemed to be compliant. Uh, they even smoked a cigarette together before he, she let him, well, she believed was letting him rape her. Uh, but of course, he bound her 
He put a cord around her neck and strangled her and then ejaculated into her panties. So hold on a second. So Shirley Vianne is sitting. I mean, does who said that he they smoked a cigarette together? He did. I believe he did. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Right. Right. I can't imagine that. I'm like, what? I mean, I guess. I. I oh, wow. I, well, that's I crazy. I know, but like, if again, I mean, I think these I think these people unfortunately are thinking, okay, if I comply, I'll be okay. And so this woman is thinking, my kids are in the bathroom. As long as they stay safe, I'll be compliant with this man, but he's not going to kill me. Of course, we know that's not what happened. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get in the mind of the victim to, to think why they would, they would work in the way that they did. I probably thinking that, you know, doing whatever she could to make sure her kids were safe who were locked in a bathroom. And if something happens to her, then he's probably going to hurt them as well. The other thing is he doesn't have a mask on again. So, you know, the likelihood of her letting him go. Yeah, the likelihood of her letting, you know, him letting her go is pretty slim. But I guess she's not thinking in those terms, even though we've had five previous murders happened and and i'm assuming people remember those were three years those were three years ago now so you kind of think that if you're living in that time it's a little bit forgotten you think that it's moved on it can't it can't be the same thing i guess i mean i just i don't know i would be on alert i mean they're in it's wichita kansas I mean, I, to to I apparently before this there was very little crime or very little um, you know murder in, happening in Wichita, Kansas. So all of a sudden it amped up like for you know three years in the seventies. I'm surprised, right. especially at the extent to which the kids were killed. Um, but you know, because at that point they were like, well, the, it's not just women; it's kids. It's a free for all. It could be men as well. Back to Shirley Vianne. So she has a cigarette. They're doing whatever. Um, you know, as you said, he ejaculated into some panties, but didn't officially rape her. Um, and then the kids, somehow or another, there was an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and what, a younger kid? Maybe? I think, I don't remember. Yeah, I think the elder child was younger. These kids, smart. Well, first off, they could see out the door. The door wasn't all the way shut. Yeah, no, no, no. The guy... Was, uh, right. Dennis Rader tied it shut so they could pull it a bit open and they did and they watched their mother be killed um then of course I'm sure that terrified them so they broke the bathroom window out and they were able to escape so now we've got four people who could identify Dennis Rader a couple of of three of them are children but still you know you've got you've got people and they were able to interview these poor kids and and I'm sure gave them a lot of counseling I mean it must have been horrific because I think she was a single mother so I don't know where these kids went after she died but you know this this, this turned their life around. I don't know if the, I don't know if there's anything more traumatic that you could ever experience in your life. Of course, it's their life around. I mean, uh, it's unreal. Uh, yeah, especially if this guy harbors the guilt for this because that's that's so tragic. So later in 1977, again, he is uh, he can't control his factor X anymore. So he decides to move in on one of the many women that he was stalking. And he begins to have an obsession with Nancy Fox. So like many times you see in scary home invasion movies that are terrifying, the criminal cuts the phone line. The beginning of the of nightmares for generations caused by horror movies. He broke into her duplex and waited there for a while for her to get home from work. He brought in his gun. He told her, which is oddly, I think, kind of true, that he had a sexual dysfunction and the only way to fix it was to rape her. Now, that part is crazy. Of course, that's ridiculous. But if we jump back to when he served his time in the Vietnam War, he actually hired a sex coach because he had, I don't know if it was true sexual dysfunction, but he felt that he was terrible at sex and needed guidance. I don't know if it's what we would consider like ED today or if it was really just 
he wasn't as good as he hoped he would be, but he really believed that he needed help. So I think he was actually kind of calling up back on his early years as an excuse to attack and, in his words, rape this woman, which, of course, he would never do. They both changed clothes or took off their clothes, got into the bedroom, and he proceeded to bind and torture and strangle her. He even told her who she who he was and confessed to his previous murders to her. And then, like not like it couldn't get any worse, but at this time, let's recall that Dennis Rader was working for ADT Alarm Company. I know, isn't that crazy? Well, it's, why not? You know, I mean, talk about having access and information that he would really find useful to be able to commit these crimes. So uh-huh. on his way to work the next day, um, uh, unfortunately, it was when they found Nancy Joe, and they found her because he called them and told them that there was a murder at her address, who she was, and that he had murdered her. He called. I mean, he called. I think he called the the. Um, he, he he called the news. Who did he call? N- the newspaper. He he called the police. He actually he no. I think he called the police. Oh, he did. He called the local I police think department. He, You're yeah, right. He, he, he called the police, and again, Dennis, not the most smartest, most intelligent guy, he said, and I'm going to quote this, yes, you will find a home aside at 843 South Pershing. Nancy Fox, that is correct. So, he, he's trying to get caught. The police now are on high alert. He drops the phone. Starts running away, and I believe it was it was a uh, a firefighter, a first responder, that actually picked up the phone and continued talking to the police, and may have seen him running away. So there's potentially another witness. Yeah, but like white guy, five nine, you know, dark hair. I know, like, but eh. it, it, it's but he's he's so sloppy well i'm you know like i said i'm really shocked that he didn't get caught so much earlier because he was sloppy and because he's like uh, you know i mean how did no one ever notice this guy how did no one ever be able to identify him he was fairly well known i mean he was the leader of a church he was the leader of like the cub scouts and he knew people he was respected um, or at least early on. We'll talk a little bit later when he's a compliance officer, when, <laughs> which is when he really starts taking things out on on hit the people he's you know working with. I mean, it it was kind of terrifying. Um, so right around this time again, BTK is feeling like he's on top of the world because he has successfully murdered another person. Um, apparently, he must have forgotten about the guy that he left alive. Kevin Bright, because if he was going to say something or because I'm sure Kevin Bright, you know, they interviewed him and I'm sure that they publicized that he didn't have any information. So that must have been a sigh of relief for Dennis Rader. Right. So then at some point after he kills Nancy Joe Fox, Rader sends a sarcastic poem to the newspaper and he does sign it BTK. But for some reason, the news and it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a, a, a poem about his murdering Shirley, um, which was one of his previous murders, right? I think it was the one before Nancy. Uh-huh. And um, he sends it to the, the newspaper. They don't <laughs> really even notice it. They send it to the classified section, and then it doesn't have any money with it. Because I guess it was, it was around it was December, right? So yeah. I guess they're thinking, yep. you know early 78 so probably before valentine's day they thought it was a valentine's day thing so they were they didn't it didn't include any money so they're not going to run the ad but they had it another time where they had something and signed by btk where they just you know um you know they had gotten multiple letters from him by now somebody should have put this together i mean it's all in wichita right so it's not even a, a matter of it being a different jurisdiction it's all the same i think the police struggled with trying to um even though this went on for so long i don't know if they didn't have enough manpower or they weren't focused or they didn't have i mean they they certainly didn't publicize the information enough it sounds to me like 
they had a moment where, and, and maybe they didn't, but Raider, you know, is upset with them because he's not giving them enough. And it leads them to believe, and, and what he says to them is, you know, I'm going to do this again. And now he does it again. And the police do blame themselves a bit for not stopping it because they think if they acknowledged him in the Shirley, um, the Shirley murder, uh-huh. um, then they wouldn't, he it's possible he wouldn't have murdered Nancy Fox. Shirley uh, Vian, I doubt that. I think he still would have murdered Nancy Fox. I well, uh, honestly, I mean, we know that he progresses. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Uh, the here's another area where I feel like he should have gotten caught, which is and no shame or, or blame here, but he he wrote a poem called Shirley Locks that he sent to the paper, and his wife actually read that poem and commented to a friend that person writes like dennis they have poor spelling and grammar just like he does so she had well, no suspicion he, but she recognized it well she caught him writing that letter yeah and he told her well, that he was writing it for his criminal justice class oh. and yeah no she he not only did she see it in the newspaper later but she saw it in his hands when he was writing it he continued to write it and then he went ahead and sent it oh my she, gosh and he told and he told her that he was it was he was writing it for his criminal justice class about yeah. btk so he told his oh, wife well, that the letter in his hand was written about btk who which was him now yeah if definitely. i was his wife again there's no you in a million years, I don't care. I don't, if I was his wife, I wouldn't have known either. I wouldn't have thought about it. I, I mean, they've also got his phone call. They've got his voice. They released mm-hmm. his voice. They yep. released that recording a bit later. But again, I don't know why they waited. They needed some. The police really needed some strategy here. I don't think that they um, they had a really clear strategy about what they were trying to achieve, other than solving it. And I don't know if they just really they thought about it and they really plotted as well as they probably should have to actually make this happen. So, ugh. so again. Nancy Joe Fox, 25 years old, murdered December 8th, 1977 in Wichita, and she was strangled as well. Victim, what are we at, number eight Number now? eight. Yeah, we are number eight. So uh, from 1978, December of 78, through 1985, or until 1985, uh, Dennis was able to quell his factor X and uh, resumed his activities in the community and in the church. And his son was super into Boy Scouts. So he became a troop leader. He was active in the community until he was unable to keep that factor down and saw an opportunity being a troop leader with his son on an outing, a camping outing. So... Victim number eight is Maureen Hedge, a widow and neighbor uh, from down the street of Dennis Rader. So in this story, on April 27th, he led his Boy Scout troop out on a camping trip with a couple other chaperones and said that he was going to go to bed early. He took this opportunity while the kids were still out doing camping stuff and drove his car to a bowling alley of all places, had a beer, then pretended to be drunk and called a taxi to take him to Marine's home. When he got to his, her home, he did what has become his MO, cutting her phone line, snuck in through the back, and waited for her to get home. This is extremely similar profiling and, and activity to Nancy Fox. Uh, a man came home with her, which he wasn't expecting, but left. Dennis came out of the, uh, the of hiding after the man left and choked 53-year-old Marine to death. Oh, my God. Uh, let's. I'm going to back up a little bit and talk about Marine because I have a couple of things that are really important to say about Marine. Um, number one, she's older than her other victim his other victims um but that's he was aging too so that actually doesn't surprise me that much she was 53 and most of his other victims were uh 40 uh when it comes to women and things like that no he well um, were they, i thought they were like in their 20 well there were a variety of ages actually you're right no yeah, the, yeah, first, uh, the first no they were in their 30s in there yeah you're right well, 30 yeah, 28 th- 25 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're he, right. Okay, but you're, but you're totally right about he was 40 now, so he was getting older. So yeah, you're right. I mean, he was he was actually almost like attacking women similar in age to him, and now he's 40, she's 53, but he he's aging sort of. Yeah, yeah. He well, one of the reasons too is because he may have. I mean, his ability to control them, you know, as if they're younger, may not be, you know, that easy anymore. What's interesting, a couple other things that are interesting about Maureen. First off, his entire family knew her. She lived about six houses down, which is pretty ballsy, if you ask me. Dennis knew this woman. Um, you know, she, I think she lived alone. He, I cannot believe that he chose his neighbor six doors down to stalk and then figure out this plan. It was horrific. Yes. And his daughter recalls when this woman died and nobody tied it to BTK at all, even though it seemed fairly obvious. Right. Or at least maybe the daughter at the time didn't tie it. But, you know, if somebody dies six doors down from me, I'm going to freaking remember it. It's going to be a thing. And it's like your your friend, you know, their family friend or whatever. Um, All right. So backing up to to your point, Dennis, and I want to, that's why I wanted to say that was because what's important about that is that's why he had to figure out another way to get to her house besides just walking down the street or taking a direct route. He needed an alibi. So it was a Cub Scout thing. Then he had to, you know, come back into town, drop his car off at the bowling alley. Like he said, takes a cab, pretends like he's drunk. Oh, oh, let me get out right here. So he has the (laughs) cab dropper, drop him off somewhere close to her house, but not in front of it. So nobody would have been the wiser, right? right? Also, when to sort of lay the scene out a little bit this is a 53 year old woman a woman that he knows a nice woman apparently he stands there and and hides for quite a long time and then waits for her to go to sleep and in the middle of the night he turns on the bathroom light and the closet light well i'm sure she's pooping you know bricks by now because she's like oh my god there's somebody in my house he comes in and he lays down next to her in bed so freaking gross so that's terrible yeah same old bullshit that he always pulls Uh Uh, like you said Brittany you know he strangles her but this is a woman that he knew this is what is perplexing to me not only did he know her and not only did he murder her but he defiled her he took her dead body to his church he he had it set up at the church. He had like black plastic and all this shit. Yeah, yeah. And so he was he, ready for her. And so he I took remem- her there and he took this remember, he took this nice he, woman and and go ahead. He he was president of the church council. So he had full access to the church whenever he wanted. So this wasn't like a yeah. weird thing for him to go into it. No. I mean, it might be weird to go in the middle of the night regardless, but it's not like he was this guy breaking in and that had that that didn't, shouldn't have access. It was okay that he was there when he was there. Well, yeah, but he still brought a woman in and well, then back course. out. Yeah, I mean, naturally, that's, like, that's not it's just okay. crazy. Yeah. yeah, terrifying. So he brings poor Maureen in. He's got this planned ahead of time that he is going to take photographs of her. And he ties her up in a variety of bondage, you know, I guess positions. And he takes photographs of her. And then when he's done... He takes her body and he dumps her in a remote location. I don't think they find her for like nine days. This poor woman. What, what's so? I mean, just so so terrible. What, what's kind of so weird about this to me is he's almost treating her with reverence and taking these pictures, and then he just decides to dispose of her. Like it, it it's like kind of polar opposites the way that he treats her. I don't really. I mean, I, I don't understand what's going on in his head, but. I just, uh, to me, this was, it was especially weird. I think this was the weirdest, strangest one for me because it was just a bunch of activities that don't seem to add up. Yeah. Well, remember, this was when he had come back from his hiatus, too. Of course. He may have been a little off his game. Yeah. He maybe was teed up, like he says, you know, with Factor X. Yeah. Oh, uh by the way, he, um, I'm pretty sure that he nicknamed his penis... Um, oh, God, I didn't hear I this. I remember. Yeah. That's okay. I don't Ugh. think we need to know the nickname. Yeah, no, it's important, though. Oh, my phone died. You'll have to look it up on your computer. Okay, I can't I'm going to do that right now. So, um, it's like I... SBT or something is what it is. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> while I look that up on my computer, and I should probably block my search history for this, um, 
You know what, Sonia? We're going so strong. I think this needs to be a two-parter. So um, I think we should wrap this up right now. We actually have gone over an hour. But um, we will come back and talk about his last killings. And then, of course, how he ultimately got himself caught, which was another horrible act of hubris. Anything else you want to add? Well, I think you guys can look forward to the second episode where I'm going to have a lot of strong opinions about Dennis Rader and my feelings for him as a human being. More than you've already had the victims through. Yes, I it, it well, it gets worse. It gets worse. Well, I can't. Yeah, it I, it, I can't even believe that it gets worse, but it gets worse because. It, and we'll we'll talk about it in a minute. But we'll talk about the ninth victim, and then we'll also talk about again how he got caught. So stay tuned, Scarlettos. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening. Stick around for the end to uh, hear from some of our other favorite shows that we like to give shoutouts to. We always love supporting independent podcasters. Uh, keep in mind, we are part of the Pod All the Time Podcast Network. Check them out on social media when you're checking us out. All right, we are the Ladies of Scarlet. Oh, and uh, Dennis Rader's nickname for his penis, Sparky. Keep killing it. Now check out a couple other podcasters that uh, support us and we want to give them some support. Hey fellow Scarlet True Crime listeners, I'm Cece, the host of a new true crime podcast, Sooner State True Crime. As a born and bred Okie, I'll cover cases based in my wonderful home state of Oklahoma. The term Sooner actually refers to cheaters in the land run my state's very first true crime. New episodes are released twice a month in Apple Podcasts and most podcast apps. Or visit our website, anchor.fm slash crimestate to listen now. So come away with me to my crime state on the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. And please stay Sooner safe out there, y'all. Hi, everyone. I'm Ariel Cooksey, host of Malice. When violent acts occur, we tend to think the predators are monsters. Surely no human could do such things. But if we're honest, only humans commit malicious crime. And if you're like me, you want to know why. To find out, join me at Malice, wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. Hey, y'all. I'm Brandon Hall. I'm one of the hosts of Music City 911, a podcast about the good, the bad, and the dark side of 911 dispatching. Me and my co-hosts are 911 dispatchers with over 60 years of experience. Join us as we play 911 calls and discuss them. Oh, did I mention that we get dark? 911, what's your emergency? I just shot everybody right now. You just shot everybody? How many people did you shoot? Uh, three. Four, shot five, officer down, shot five. Four, fifty-three, I have a party shot here at the rescue hot. We got multiple casualties. This is a mass casualty situation here. My brother's attacking my family. They shot my husband, and they shot my daughter, and they shot me. Stop it! He's in the with her. Stop it! Stop it! You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Music City 901, and we're downloadable on every podcast platform. We want to give a shout out to the Pod All the Time Podcast Network that we, Scarlet TCP, are proud members of. Other members of the Pod All the Time Podcast Network are Creative Intuitive, Another Digital Citizen, History of a Haunting, Round and Round the Podcast. Real AKA Truth Podcast, Ruck Up Podcast, Random Unnamed Podcast, Suburban Folk, Three Peas in a Podcast, Raw Sex Podcast, I Think We're Doing It Podcast. So if you like what you're hearing from Scarlet TCP, check out these other shows, the members of the Pod All the Time Podcast Network.